Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Sorry about the little uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Hot, 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 oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Was the weekend that was. Do you want a bit of preamble? You know, you love preamble. That's your job. I only like it when it was radio hot flow. Well, you can have it as a ceremoniously dumb, unceremonially dumb. Well, that's because you took over. You couldn't have you taking over and then being, you know, like, you know, not a part of the bill pay. What good, is a, what good is a coup if you don't overthrow the existing regime? You had loyal supporters, many more than I anticipated. Remember, remember to keep yourself in check from here on in. Five. You can count me. Four. <laughs> Three. <laughs> two, two. One. Thunderbirds are go. <laughs> no, you, can't, you can't say that. Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. I'd oh, love. Oh, I'd love to be Jeff Tracy, wouldn't you? Was that with With my own. <laughs> Island out in the Pacific. We saw Jeff Tracy BMW the other day we somewhere, did. and it was J for Jeff on the way to Bathurst. What, which one did we see out the front? Was it Thunderbird Five or Thunderbird Three? Two. Two. We saw Thunderbird two. two. Yeah, where was that? The green one. Somewhere else. Yeah, the one which I'd have to sneak into the past. Yeah. I'd love to be Jeff Tracy, former astronaut, who manages to have this high-tech island in the middle of the Pacific, and with all the technology that they employ. Nobody could still ever find the Thunderbirds and from whence they came. Looks like we've started Radio Hot Lab episode 131, that light hearted and sane podcast that takes a look at motor racing, cool and emerging technology, gadgets and barbecues. And brought to you today again from behind the wheel of the HSV E2317 Tourer Wagon, courtesy of HSV. One bespoke feature. Uh, launch have control. We added? No. Oh, the, the certified, certified, certified sticker decal on its prow. Well, that came came about, to folks, and we were uh, very remiss to bring that up in episode one thirty as we were travelling through Grenfell. That uh, we'd we'd actually been um, sort of led into a lockout at an unnamed Miranda or pub to meet a, a guy uh, whose uh, name escapes me. But if you Pass me the wallet. Uh, pass me my wallet. Pass me my wallet. Um, right, but oh, what, is it in there? You never opened that. Look, look. <laughs> His name... Oh, spider webs and dust and moths just flew out. <laughs> His name's Mitch. Mitch Bell from Certified Clothing Company. It's actually pretty cool. He's got a great hat. And uh, you can get him at myspace.com forward slash certified clothing company. Have a look at that. It's all good. Well, he was a bit of an eccentric young entrepreneur, wasn't he? Because when we met him, he was the bartender. But he's also a member of the family who has recently bought the pub in Narendra. Yes. And he is something of a BMX aficionado, if not to say perhaps an actual 
ace at that particular sport. He seemed to participate in it. And he's come up with his own clothing line and brand based on um, the whole BMX cult, I guess. But it was quite fascinating and it, it looks pretty uh, well, I guess, in the vernacular. Um, Reminds me of, of the Relentless cult. brand. Fully me. sick. It'd be a fully sick brand. <laughs> yeah, that is it. It's fully sick. Um, and you bought a hat that makes you look like Kimi Raikkonen, one of those with the flat peak on it. That's right. And, uh, and, and then he proceeded you, to hand his, over lots of stickers. He did? But what else, what else did he stick you for? He didn't stick you for anything. Not a t-shirt? No, he didn't oh, have no. crap shirts. That's he didn't right. have the good shirts. No, the that one that he had. Yeah, he had lots of pink and mauve ones, didn't he? Anyway, that's, that's that. So it was interesting. Certified Clothing Company, if you go to Narandra, you'll find him on the corner of... Oh, folks, look. <laughs> oh, hard ride. Christ. I told you to go to Sebastopol. Almost. Oh, there, there was a good shift there no, by the folks. Second, second, fifth. Look, he was trying to hustle it. You know you can't do that. I hate this gearbox. Anyway, we're back from Bathurst. We're on the way back. Do you, you're going to be able to talk and also look how, how fast do you want to go. Like, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. Why? Where's the snake? We're just having a sportive drive. <laughs> all right, Bathurst, come on, mate. You've got all the talking wow. to do. What a good event. <laughs> Hell of a race. The action uh, was thick and fast pretty much all day long. Even the boring bits were pretty interesting. And then when it got down to, well, what, about the last hour and we've had, you know, weather, changeable weather, safety car interventions, um, people crashing, and the lead changed, well, as often as you looked up, there was someone new. Essentially, the battle all day was, however, between, as we thought, uh, the lead HRT Commodore of Garth Tander and Will Davison and the lead Triple Eight Team Vodafone uh, Hockster of Craig Lowndes and Jamie Wincup. Different strategies. I think it's fair to say that the Triple Eight Team were relying on innate pace but mainly on superior fuel consumption. They were eking a few more laps out of each tank of ethanol and I think if we'd had a relatively uninterrupted race and certainly you know uh, no patches of rain um, they would actually um, probably would have had a strategic advantage but so many things changed the safety car interventions and the couple of periods of rain that we had which seemed to unduly affect uh, Jamie Wincup and his stint um, he just didn't have any pace on the wet tyres um, undid a lot of the good work that Craig Lowndes did and ultimately just fell into HRT's hands. The uh, circumstances, a bit of fortune, and their own uh, reasonably dominating pace just put them in front when it came down to the, uh, the last few laps, which of course um, was just a flat out drag, but the action that was going on um, thick and fast um, in between the last couple of safety periods was incredible. Everyone was having a go at winning the race. Greg Murphy and Mark Scaife, the sentimental favorites, they are on course to win, but safety car um, call just caught them out of phase just after Murph went past the pit lane exit. So that was them out the window because they're actually about 64 entrance. seconds. Uh, what did I say? Exit. Entrance. They're actually about 64 seconds up on um, 
Murph was about 64 seconds up on uh, Tanda. Um, the race also slipped from the grasp of, amazingly, uh, David Bernard and Greg Ritter in the uh, second string, if you like, Gary Rogers Motorsport entry. And so we basically got down to the last couple of laps. Tanda's disappeared, but behind him, it's on for young and old, and in the shake-up of it all, um, Jason Richards bursts through into second after having shown a lot of pace in qualifying. Lee Holdsworth had a huge battle on his hands because running them all down in the closing stages was Murph, mighty Murph, Mr. Mount Panorama. He was all over the back of Holdsworth and at the end, Holdsworth barely got home in third. I think it was like four one thousandths of a second in it. And behind Murph back in fifth place, very disappointing. Um, the end of their bid to make history to uh, become Bathurst Immortals was Win Cup in fifth in the Triple Eight uh, Falcon. So, I mean, it was a breathless finish to what was a fascinating day, and it's now thrown the V8 Supercar Championship battle wide open. Jamie Wincup, um, who's had a pretty comfortable lead until recently, has now got Will Davison breathing right down his neck. There's only 93 points difference uh, with eight races to go. Uh, looks like Jamie uh, was not as confident in the wet as he had uh, been some other times. You notice? Didn't appear so, no. There wasn't any problem with the car, I gather. Um, unlike Mark Scaife, who complained during his wet stint that he just had a bad set of wet tyres that just had no grip whatsoever, relatively speaking, the conditions. Um, there was no complaint from Triple Eight about a bad batch of wet weather tyres on their car. It just seemed unusually that uh, Wincup just didn't have confidence in the wet, uh, which is, as I say, unusual because usually he's pretty good in the wet. Um, but you know, he was no match for... He was actually, I guess you've got to say, in a way, he was no match for Lowndes. But, of course, their whole challenge was compromised late in the race when uh, they had, uh, well, virtually a clutch failure. So they were driving around um, a bit crippled because they just couldn't change gear properly. The, the, the clutch pedal action was fading, was coming in and out, and you couldn't predict when it was. So uh, it was a gritty performance in the end by Wincup to, you know, salvage fifth place out of it. Um, but their uh, hopes of winning an historic fourth straight and unprecedented Bathurst 1000 Bathurst victory in a row just, uh, well, went up in smoke, really. There was a lot of media attention on Craig Lowndes this weekend, you know, for the, you know, being able to bring it home, bring the fourth one home for his, uh, for his old friend Peter Brock. And, um, you know, perhaps we saw a bit of a different Jamie Wincup there, a little bit out of sorts, perhaps, with the shift in media attention. He may even have been sulking, because well, the emphasis, the, whole, the team's whole emphasis was clearly on Lowndes. Um, they let Lowndes qualify, they used Lowndes' car, not the number one um, car that Wincup normally drives, they used the Triple Eight car. The test bed. And Craig led the whole way, um, I guess the only, uh, and Craig started the race as well, so Wincup was uh, very much in the background the whole weekend, it was uh, quite strange, but obviously the big push from Triple Eight, you know, was to give Craig Lowndes the high profile because it would be, um, you know, his big achievement of winning four in a row and his, uh, <coughs> excuse me, his fifth overall and uh, that would sort of put him up in the pantheon of Bathurst stars, you know, not quite but way up there near Peter Brock. There was other sulking going on on the weekend and in fact alluded to very, very 
strongly by Garth Tander at the uh, press conference, Rick Kelly. <laughs> Having a bit of silk about their, uh, oh, what would you call it, their little late race contretemps. At to Griffin Bend. Yeah. Well, it was quite clear that, uh, that Tander was going to be quicker there with Rick coming out of the pits. He just should have... Yeah. Rick on cold tyres in an evil handling Jack Daniels Commodore anyway. He was struggling and he had no mid-speed corner whatsoever. And Mid-corner speed. Uh, mid-corner speed. speed, yes. I, I'm multitasking here, mate. Well, yeah, but it's a straight, folks. I'm driving. It's a five-kilometre straight <laughs> and you're doing 118. I, I mean, indi- no. Indicated. No, we're not. We're doing nothing of the sort, officer. <laughs> No mid-corner speed did Rick have in that situation and Garth was just gobbling him up and uh, they just came together. Uh, Tander's HRT car whacked the Jack Daniels Commodore in the uh, right rear corner, but it was under acceleration. The officials looked at it. No case to answer. Racing incident just as, and this one's a bit hard to believe, um, the late race, very near the end clash between Jamie Wincup and Jason Barguana in the second Tasman Motorsport Commodore um, which really compromised Bargs' race. He was, you know, he was on for third or something and uh, Wincup went for a very optimistic well not an optimistic, he just went for a very aggressive dive down the inside um, you know, at the end of the uh, Conrad Strait after the chase and got Jason Barguana got a bit squirrely and um, Wincup has uh, well effectively employed the old, uh, you know, faint right, faint left, dived left to get past him and there was a clash but the officials looked at it later on and said it was a racing incident also even though Bargs was very unhappy and a lot of people were asking questions and wondering how Wincup could get away with such a, um, an, an obvious uh, tactic. Well you do have a theory on that was probably for a more, more for discussion around the round table with other people. You don't want to be putting the mockers on it just because they're up the front. powers to be to leave them out there? Oh, the big names get away with murder. And more to the point, they get away with murder, um, you know, get off very lightly, no action for the judiciary uh, when it's near the end of a race. Um, And same with safety cars, you know, safety cars are deployed willy-nilly the earlier the race is. And as soon as we get, you know, within the last 10 laps or so, um, suddenly safety cars aren't needed or they're used very sparingly and they're over very quickly you know I mean the race started the first lap had a safety car called for no reason whatsoever Jason Bright who went off in the first corner um, you know got himself back on the track so we've started the great race you know behind a safety car for the best part of the first lap um, and we didn't get racing going until after that whereas late in the race um, there are a couple of incidents that you would have thought, well, we might be out here and finish under the yellow, but no, they managed to dispense um, with the accident very quickly. But I also have this pet peeve that in the last 10 laps or so, so often in a big race we see that, um, shall I say, backmarkers have a, ru- a rush of blood to the head, and what do they do? And they crash, and they cause safety cars to intervene and it just potentially ruins you know, a thrilling finish it didn't yesterday in the Bathurst 1000 as it happened but it could have because we had 
you know, people like Dean Canto and also uh, Ricky Adela, Ricky Adela in the uh, Kelly Racing Red Rooster car. Uh, he went off twice causing um, safety cars. And, uh, but Canto was the main one because that, that changed the whole complexion of, of the run to the flag and cost people, as I said earlier, like Greg Murphy and uh, Greg Ritter a shot at victory. And, I'm just getting tired of it because it happens with monotonous regularity that near the end of a big race, um, someone um, who's not a contender, who's not in the running, you know, falls off the track, safety car comes out and, you know, just blows what could have been a, a great battle right to the flag. In this case it didn't, but I still think there's a case for the V8 supercar people um, to review their, review their judicial procedure and actually start sanctioning people who cause unnecessary late race um, yellows if you like you know find them I don't know a thousand dollars or something you know for, for every lap closer it gets to the finish it's a bit of a tough call as folks saying that because I mean it's not like they it's not like they did it on purpose I mean none of them want to fall off the road and they what are you seeing that you think you think that they actually within themselves think hey I've got a shot at this even though they're down the back. They want to be right at the finish line when the cameras go, no matter how many laps down. Who knows what they're thinking, but it just happens too often, you know, that guys who are just, you know, filling the field at that stage in the race do something stupid, and they potentially spoil it, you know, for the for the front runners, for the main contenders, and I, I just think that should be, um, right at the end of an event, um, an actionable offence, because... You know, often it's just plain stupidity. People are just trying too hard or they have a lapse in concentration. You know, next thing you know, screech, bang, boom. You know, they're up against the wall or off in the kitty litter. Kitty litter and uh, we've got a safety car out and the whole, you know, rhythm of the race is destroyed and, uh, you know, someone invariably gets compromised by this. So I actually think it should get to the point a certain stage near the end of the race where it's an actionable offence to uh, have a stupid accident, particularly twice within a, you know, a handful of laps. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Oh, can you go on about it? You like that bloody Engadget podcast. You know, you managed to get so much more mileage over the same same thing, which is, we'll be on about that a little bit later. No, that was endless. That's, that's time. I'll no, never get back now, in my life that, listening <laughs> to that one. That's... Well, you're not exactly a, a person who runs to schedule at any time, anyway. Three, three a.m. getaways turn into midday. There was a bit of overzealous police behaviour. I'm sorry, do you have a point to make there? Well, I do. You know, if you want to get away, if you say we're going to get away at eight in the morning, why do we get away at four thirty? And if you because want to get away at eleven, why two thirty? Because things don't go to plan. Sometimes one is busier than one expects, and one has obligations that one has to meet. Nine, I put it to you that there has been some imbibement of red fluid in the evening in conjunction with many Chinese meals that has increased the optimistic optimistic factor, thinking that perhaps you can get it out the door. The viewers aren't the least bit interested in this, so let's move along and discuss something far more interesting. As or I, I may tell them what is in your right hand at <laughs> without, this unseemly hour of the day. Without a glass. 
Well, I don't even want to think about how you're ingesting it. That's sealed, folks. Police presence. Now, that, that got my back up. Awesome, uh, always. Um, there's a lot of police there. And uh, you were you know, a recipient of it last night on the road when you were just minding your own business, gone out to get a bit of milk fairly late in the evening um, from the house. But I saw some pretty um, heavy duty, well, security behaviour entering the, entering the paddock there. Certainly there's a few people who are a bit, a bit silly, but not in the morning everyone's very orderly, but the fact that they're doing it in front of, you know, a family and, and, and small children, it, it's very uncool. The security company obviously is, you know, is hired by VH Supercars to do a job, and I'm sure they're trying to do a very good job, but it just appears that sometimes they, they are overzealous. The police presence in and around Bathurst over the weekend was overbearing and unnecessary, particularly when they've got sniffer dogs and uh, cops on bicycles racing through the crowds and the number of security people on the gates was quite over the top. I even had to put on a wristband that said over 18. I, I don't know whether to be flattered that I had to wear something that proved I was over 18 or whether I should be appalled by just the indiscriminate nature that they're just uh, whacking wristbands on people uh, to make sure that only people of uh, the age of majority are able to consume alcohol within the ground. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was pretty poor. Um, I didn't see a lot of gobbo behaviour. I, I and the other friends uh, that did go up the hill, they said it was all fairly orderly. Necessarily, I believe, I was just quietly driving up the street after getting a couple of litres of milk. No speeding involved, no hoonish driving, there's just no reasonable cause to pull me over anyway. Did the random breath test, was well under the limit, there was never any danger of that. Then the police officer takes umbrage because I happened to, you know, ask him, possibly even debate with him, you know, what what reason he did, did he have to pull me over. There was no offence committed. To which he basically bids me good evening um, with the, with the uh, little throwaway line at the end and uh, he, hope, he hopes I get the chip off my shoulder. Well, that's charming, isn't it? For, for, police, for police officers to speak to a member of the public who has committed no crime or offence like that. I mean, it's charming. Do they wonder why they have an image problem? And what retort did you spray. Well, the censored version can be summarised as saying, you know, and you as well. I didn't put it that politely. And then I just carefully motored off. Uh, uh, Unreasonable. Overseas there's been some uh, some championships won. Dario Franchetti's taken the the IRL title um, at the, the last race with Ryan Briscoe second and Scott Dixon third. And where was that race, folks? Homestead, Korea, yeah. Miami, in Florida. 
Yeah, it was the three-way shootout, wasn't it, between Frank Kitty, Frisco, and Scott Dixon. Frisco driving for Team Penske, and of course Frank Kitty and Dixon teammates in uh, Target Chip Ganassi Racing. Pretty good uh, effort by Frank Kitty when you think that um, he won the championship in 2007 and then made the astounding move of going off to do the NASCAR Sprint Cup um, with Chip Ganassi's NASCAR team. Um, that didn't go well. Uh, there were sponsorship issues as well, but you know it's a really tough transition from open wheel racing to NASCAR stock cars. And, and Dario was struggling, and you know, that's saying something because he's a really, really good driver, always has been. After uh, losing his drive early, um, he returned to the IndyCar Series this year and um, he's been in fantastic form. So, in three years, he's won two IndyCar titles. David Bramble's having a great year, having won a long 24 hour earlier in, year, in the year with Peugeot, as, as we say in Europe. He's backed that up with his first American Le Mans Series outright title with, with uh, Patron with his co-driver Scott Sharp, who incidentally is going to start his own GT2 team uh, next year. Not that uh, Scott will be driving the Ferrari, he'll be continuing with David in the Patron uh, Acura LMP1. Big year for Brabs. Absolutely. Wins the long 24 hours, and then uh, gets his first uh, ALMS uh, title, outright championship. So he's got the uh, the full box set of uh, American Le Mans Series titles now. Hasn't well, he? that's he's right. He won, has won a title in every division he's contested. GT2, GT1, P2 last year, and uh, P1. Very underrated, I think, David Brabham. He just doesn't get the kudos back home here in Australia that he deserves. We had, we had dinner with someone last night who I won't specifically name, and when I mentioned that you know, David Brabham had won that, he was so what? That's a shame. I thought it was a bit un-Australian. Yeah. Well, the problem is out here, of course, if you haven't won the Bathurst 1000, yes. the, the, the wider audience, shall we say, doesn't doesn't tend to rate you very highly. Well, in New Zealand, no one rates... Everyone rates some Earth only, and that's it. Jason Richards doesn't get a rating. He doesn't get a pie no. named after him. Well, New Zealanders rate their open-wheel drivers far more highly than we do. Open-wheeler racing has a very long and much deeper tradition within New Zealand than it does over here, even though we have two Formula One world champions. Um, well, they've run Formula Atlantic for years, haven't yeah. they? Which is a tie. They've only got one, but there's just a much deeper culture that continues, and they're a lot keener on promoting their young open-wheeler talent, either to Europe or into V8 supercars here. But, you know, out in New Zealand, Scott Dixon, Indy 500 winner and IndyCar Series champion, you know, is an absolute hero and a sports star. He's up, he's right up there with uh, Greg Murphy. And rightly so. Oh yeah, Dixon's a hell of a driver. What else is news, mate? What did you think of the Chinese meals we've had the last few days? It's just been Chinese Central. It has been a great wall of Chinese food. Since we left home, really, hasn't it? I've, I've had one night off. You've had no nights off. And we ended up in the restaurant in Bathurst, one of the many Chinese restaurants in that uh, city. And this one was actually called The Great Wall. And it was very good food, too. I mean, 
I had maybe one or two dud dishes. But uh, generally speaking, it's, it's good. And like, when there's a lot of people in town, I think it's just, it's hard to deliver food. Chinese restaurants always seem to be able to get your seat quickly and get the food out the door to you. And, and everyone's happy. No, we never had trouble finding a Chinese restaurant that had space and reasonable tucker. We didn't even, have any. even though Bathurst was, you know, full as with visitors. <laughs> you only have to walk one block away from the main centre and there's every restaurant available just to walk into. It's funny that isn't it? Perhaps it was there was just a lot of smokers milling around the outside of restaurants and weren't actually eating there. No, it's an interesting psychology that sort of party carnival atmosphere people congregate in the centre of a, of a place and uh, seem reluctant to move just a block or two around the corner or up the road where um, things are relatively quiet and we found that so maybe we're just really clever well we're really clever on Saturday afternoon by disappearing out of the circuit to go down and have a very nice pizza and, uh, and a glass of wine for lunch at a third of the price of anything that you would have found, found in the circuit and of course of much greater quality watched a bit of TV and because it was unfortunate that the media centre had a very large TV there but it was much uh, more of a sort of an outdoor setup, and so the, the resolution was not as good as perhaps it could have been that was, uh, that was a bit disappointing so uh, it's uh, not as nice of course as the van if you, uh, you reside in thanks to supercars with your carbon fibre desk in the big pond media truck yes uh, this road we're on, yes, heading towards ultimately Narandra again. We're on um, the, uh, the link to Coolamore. Yeah, it's hardly overburdened with corners, is it? Well, no. Well, I'm trying to have a, you know, I wouldn't mind just having a, a you know, slightly sportive drive in this um, <coughs> performance car we're driving, and we're just droning along metronomically. Folks, on a straight road. You're on drugs, mate, because I said to you, and here's a 50k coming into Cooler. Like I said, why don't we go this way? And you went, no, no, this looks nice. I mean, have a look at the map. They're straight roads. Whereas I made a proposal that we would go round through the wiggly bits. And if that's well, what you I, want I to do. I saw some corners there on that map, but they don't seem to be. Would you like to do some wiggliness? No. We're coming up to a crossroad, a T intersection. Which way are we going? We're going to be going uh, to. Uh, Coolamon. You want to go to Grong Grong and Miranda or Old Year Coolamon? Okay. Uh, 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 would have helped if I'd looked at the sat now, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. Got Another small screen. village. Oh, we are in Coolamon. Absolutely. And I'm going to have to have a pause for a minute because uh, I can't be talking while we're going through town. I have to look at the railway line. Stop off at the Coolerman Hotel, folks. A lovely hotel, just have a coldie. It was, it was the pause that refreshes. <laughs> well, we couldn't really have a drink in the car, it was very uh, unsuitable to be spilling anything in such a, such a nice uh, car that's been gifted to us for the weekend. The Coolerman pub was quite imposing, wasn't it? A grand structure. It uh, was the warmest I've found the countryside to be, 25 degrees yet. The only pub we've walked into where they've got the fireplace roaring as well as the gas heater. So something's not quite right there. Well, I guess for the locals, 25 degrees is probably a chilly day. Imagine how stinking, filthy hot it can get out here, particularly in the middle of the summer. But yes, it did seem unusual. 
had a nice break there. We took some nice happy snaps for the family album. Well, some people have been taking family snaps and storing them on cloud computing solutions. You know, you've heard about cloud? Like cloud nine. I'm well, often on cloud nine. Well, it wouldn't be on cloud nine for no. those who have been affected by the story I'm about to tell you, but sent, sent for the dummies. For the morons in the room, as someone with a bit of a shipping cottage voice would say, cloud computing is a way of storing your content, contacts, emails, whatever, on a storage device which is not physically, you know, at your place. It's connected via the internet. So that's quite handy. We talked about Dropbox a few weeks ago, where you installed an application on your machine, yeah. another machine, someone else's machine, and you can synchronise those boxes up so whatever you put into one, one box is automatically mirrored into the others. Plus, it was then kept on the cloud. But is it safe well, to store all your stuff externally? I think the general rule of thumb is no matter what you do, you always want to back things up. In the case of Dropbox, it was backing things up to the cloud. It wasn't just keeping everything on the cloud, which is the downfall of the story I'm about to tell you. For poor T-Mobile users in the States who have been using a cloud computing solution called Sidekick, well, iPhone users could think of it as Mobile Me, which has also got the Find My Phone sort of recovery solution, and, uh, and, um, and, and Microsoft have a My Phone solution. Well, it turns out that the T-Mobile Sidekick solution is actually managed by Microsoft slash Danger, a group that Microsoft moved into cloud computing. Quite rightly so, Microsoft's ordered a, an upgrade perhaps to their firmware or some kind of hardware, their storage area network, or SAN as it's called, around about the second or third of this month. But they must have been a bit busy because they thought they'd outsource that, as they did to Hitachi. Which Wait, obviously, you. Huh? Hitachi. Hitachi. <laughs> yeah, Hitachi. Which obviously have thought, look, this is a good job for a couple of like university interns who have then been brought in, so it's a third outsource, and uh, they've gone and done an upgrade without backing the solution up. That doesn't make any sense. You would always back things up in multiple times. Now here we have several hundred thousand users who have lost not only their contacts, their address their emails, their SMSs, but also all their photos. Uh-oh. There is no working backup at all anywhere in existence. And that is a very bad solution. Oh, not happy, Jan. No solution. Not no. happy, Jan. The implications are, are thus. People will feel very nervous about using cloud computing solutions. Um, and right, quite rightly so. However, a cloud computing solution is, is, is useful but it must also be backed up physically in several places. Fire is indiscriminate, folks. It'll burn your house down and the hard disks that's sitting there in a bag next to the computer which you backed it up into. Just like when you go overseas to protect yourself. Give me one of your credit cards, I'll give you one of mine. My wallet gets lost, we use your credit card. Vice versa. Quite a clever idea. Do you think I'm giving you one of my credit cards? Well, yeah, that's a few. 
a few bendy ones. I had a dream last night. This solution, th this cloud computing, obviously in this case it turned out to be cloud cuckoo land, didn't it? Look, it shouldn't have been, and some heads are going to roll, and no doubt there'll be serious amounts of compensation from Microsoft. Unnecessary expenses, and um, you know, because of the, the uh, I think the client base are virtually all Americans, well certainly T-Mobile is in America, you can imagine there's going to be some suits. Someone's going to be suing. Love the pubs in these country towns with their great big verandas. They're wonderful. So, you're about to say you had a dream. Uh, and I had all these credit cards that were cut up. We're driving along the side. That wasn't a dream. That <laughs> happened to you. Driving along the side of this very no, they all got cut up, yes. very straight railway line, along a very straight piece of road on the way to Miranda with Grom Grom the next town. And folks, is it's bothering him enormously. What the name of the fill under the railway line between the sleepers is called? He's just he can't sleep. It is worrying me because I think I should know what it's called. It seems in the dim dark recesses of my memory that. All the aggregate, all the rocks, or whatever you call it, underneath the sleepers and underneath the rails, has an actual name, and I can't for the life. And, and if you look carefully, if you, you will see that it actually looks like it's been upgraded recently, not by Hitachi, because no. it, it looks like That's a damn good piece of rail, doesn't it? Look straight ahead and don't run into that boat. This is one of the few railway lines that we've seen out here on our travels to and from Bathurst that actually seems to be a working rail line. It's such a shame. I think we've mentioned before that so many out here have been shut down and all they're doing now is providing a haven for weeds. Focusing on some uh, lamb cutlets, crumbed lamb cutlets. Seems to be very common in these pubs, ten dollars, Monday night specials, all gravy and you know, tin tinned vegetables. As you get three veg three vegetables, you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm a meat and three veg man myself. You are? Indeed. Tech time. More tech time. There's been a lot of stuff going on in the mobile space and I've been trying to get my head around it. All these different brands of phones with operating systems. It's very, very confusing, folks. But you know, everything seems to stop short of being a competitor for the iPhone. The iPhone, in fact, is one of those, one of those unique phones that really can't get a virus. Its weakness is its strength. The fact that it can only run, run one application or one processor at a time, it means that another another application can't come in and, and infect it and make it do something else. So that's gone and prompted the police department of New South Wales to say, don't do your banking on Windows, use Linux or an iPhone. That's uh, got some big implications for people. That's a big wrap for the iPhone in terms of its security. Well, it's simply because it's only doing one thing at a time. If it was a multitasking operating system, then that would be a problem. Has there been much incidence, though, of, I know, hackers getting to bank accounts, um, you know, through people's I have home never, computers, but has ever. there been much incidence of, of any type of phone? not just iPhones, but any mobile phones being hacked while you're online on a 3G network, say? I, I have not yet ever come across an instance of anybody who's ever had any fraudulent activity with, with online financial services. On, on a mobile phone? 
on a mobile phone and I've not read of any. I'm sure that there are cases out there. But um, it's interesting that Microsoft has just recently chosen to launch its, well, let's say halfway platform, the Microsoft, Microsoft Mobile 6.5. It's a bit of a necessary upgrade from the 6.1, but not the full 7.0. of a battle of 
what the size of the right, the, what is the right size of the device? We're in Grong Grong. There's the Grong Grong railway station up there. It's just a sign. Yeah, on a siding. On a siding. Oh. Very big silos over there. Like sidings. And there's some levers out there. Switches. It's just some levers. Yeah. That's what it's all about. We're going to cross the railway line. This one we should actually slow down just in case another train's coming. No, there's not that. As you can see, it's very, oh, very clear. Oh, oh, now. I'm the idiot for slowing down the railway lines, which you were doing a dead one. Oh, yeah, but like Thanks. there were trees. This yeah. one has got like the yeah. nullabore either yeah. side. Yeah, and there were trees growing out of the railway line. Wasn't that a giveaway to you? Well, it's, you, one, you see, and on that basis, the lights... 110 speed limit at last. The lights weren't operating. And so it could have been someone coming along with one of those, you know, hand cards. Ah, uh, yeah. Much like on the beginning of Blazing Saddles. Yes. Uh, and there could be quicksand. On the Keystone Cops. Camptown yeah. Lady. You can never be too careful, can you? Oh, that's right. You've seen it a few things We're go. now allowed to do 110 kilometres per hour. Look, I'm exhausted from the weekend, folks. I've just got nothing else to say. I don't feel like I'm my, 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 myself. Probably too much MSG after five straight, not, straight nights of Chinese. But it's been a good adventure. We've seen a bit of the countryside, the beauty and grandeur of southern and central New South Wales, which is a lot greener than I would have expected, actually. They're still having a drought, but there's been some rain. That's Driving, you know, a pretty uh, pretty special car. Fully certified. With the, with the special nickel. What we didn't mention when we were discussing last, uh, on our way up here, about the uh, trick gear on the HSV R8 Club Sport Tourer, this has a launch control system. We finally found out how to engage it. It's very easy to engage it, but don't try this at home, so we won't explain it to you in detail how to do it. But suffice to say that there is a setting within the system whereby um, the computer just works out the optimum revs um, for a fast getaway and uh, it disengages the traction control. So you set that, the engine revs up to the predetermined speed, you dump the clutch, off it goes, and it'll get uh, the fastest time from naught to 100 kilometers per hour, uh, which should, according to HSV claims, be just short, just under five seconds. So 4.9 seconds should be the way. But So it's a bit of uh, Formula, old Formula One style. Levers, levers uh, over there. Motors, yes. Motors, uh, you know, general motorsport technology and having launch control. How many times you'll be able to get to use it, I don't know. Yeah, technology. I, I guess, you know, if you're going for um, run what you've run, uh, street meets in drag racing or uh, some track day activity, it could be fun. Anyway, it's just another little uh, launch, toy that it has. Does launch control work work on the auto? No. There is no launch control in the auto because by its very nature the uh, auto gets away uh, uh, very uh, quickly. The reason why I say that, and I wasn't being silly, as you probably thought I was, I thought perhaps Indeed. that there, there could be a, a variable speed torque converter. High speed, a high stall speed torque converter. And so that until you got the revs up, you know, and then it got going. Perhaps that was truly, it's worth investigating. It could be, although wouldn't that give you problems 
around town, particularly, you know, you low off. speeds and idle. But yeah, but you Switchable, it. right. Switchable. Yeah. Launch control. Engageable and disengageable. Worth thinking about. I'll mention it to the boys at Clayton the next time I'm down there. Ask them the question. As the sun sets on the 12th of October, the day after Bathurst, as we head towards the land cupboards on the horizon. And as the sun sets You've on been... Johnny's and Vogue's excellent Bathurst adventure. That was the race that was. And, and of course, nearly you've show. just been watching, or you've just missed, Miss Dewing, Radio Hot Lab. Good night, viewers. Episode 130, viewers. Good night. More switches, folks. There's switches there. Do you want to go and play with the levers? Oh, Honestly. Can I? You could.